Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Good morning and welcome to the future of XYZ. Today, I couldn't be happier to have mayoral candidate for New York City, Art Chang, with us. We will be talking about the future of campaign finance, something Art knows a lot about. Art, welcome to Future of XYZ. Thank you so much for having me, Lisa. Absolutely. So Art has a super interesting background as a classic, in my opinion, American story. Born in Atlanta to Korean immigrant parents, grew up in Akron, Ohio, came east and went to the Ivy League school Yale for his undergrad degree, ended up in New York City in 1985, got an MBA at NYU's Stern School of Business, uh, and subsequently has spent a lot of time in the public sector, I think over 30 years, uh, including as the first Asian on the campaign uh, finance board for the city of New York City, uh, as well as being in the private sector simultaneously in mostly finance and technology companies and roles, uh, and also more recently, the co-creator of New York City Votes, which is a tech company trying to give uh, local election access to voters. So Art, you know a lot about uh, elections, uh, which is not to say the same thing as voting or campaign finance, but I'm gonna talk to you about it because obviously, you know, you are running a campaign uh, and you are a finance expert. So it seems logical that we should talk about campaign finance. Yeah, well, thanks, thanks so much. I think, yeah, well, I think just, to, I think you raise a really good point. People often get very confused about campaign finance versus elections because they're, they're obviously connected, right? You raise money so that you can have, make, make, it, make a pitch to folks so that you can get elected theoretically. Um, but the people who run elections are very, very different. And so the levers on each side are, 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 are interesting. So right now there's actually a huge debate on the election side as Republican states like Georgia and Iowa and others are really trying to make it increasingly difficult for people to get access to vote. Mm. And that's what the elections systems are all about. And in New York State, we have our own issues, which I, I'm happy to talk about as well. On campaign finance, it's about the whole process of raising money to support a candidate's campaign. And um, it's lightly regulated at the federal level and then the state, each state has their different set of regulations regarding how much money you can raise, whether the state provides any matching funds, and then how much money you can spend. Um, and then to make things even more complicated, there are certain cities like New York City that have their own campaign finance system that operates with even a different set of rules within the state system. It's 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 uh, it's super interesting. Sorry, of course, because it's COVID, I have a dog barking in the background. Um, but I will say that what I find really interesting about the layers, the kind of layer cake that you're talking about, is is who ultimately has power in these elections. And and one of the things that 
personally, campaign finance for me is, and the reform is at the foundation of our democracy. Because what I'm observing, and, and, and I may be totally wrong, so please you know, check me if I am, but we've seen $14.4 billion spent in the 2020 election cycle. Um, and that 2020 election cycle became absolutely, um, all, I think it was like 60% of what had been spent previously. Like it is, is far more than double what the next highest was. And a lot of that, obviously about 6 billion of that went to the presidential election, but the balance of it, almost $9 billion went to congressional campaigns. And those to your point are being regulated both lightly federally municipality, but also really at the state level. So that's where it really matters. And then you have these other initiatives like you're talking about in certain you know, states where there's real voter suppression happening. And then you ask, what's the role of money in all of this? I think it's the question that gets to me when I look at these kinds of numbers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, New York City is a great example of what many people call a model campaign finance jurisdiction in that you know, New York City's whole system is based on trying to align democracy, which is, you know, choosing candidates with the campaign finance system. So there are a number of things like, so I'll just tell you about New York City, which is really cool. So the first thing is to really give people a voice in, in, their, in, their, in their government. And so when you are making a small dollar contribution, you know, if you're an individual, you know, and you're a teach, school teacher or you, you know, drive a mail truck, you know, or do you have an equal voice to somebody who has a lot of money, who may be a billionaire? And, you know, until the city's campaign finance system came into place, it was so disproportionately different that, that really the small donors really had almost no voice and they felt like they had no voice. Right. Um, the second thing is that, that it made it also very difficult for candidates to run. Because if you were a candidate who was not part of the machine, getting the money to run a campaign was extraordinarily difficult. Yeah. And then the third thing because of this is that the information that went out to voters to inform them and encourage them to vote was also very, very uneven. And so the city's campaign finance system really changed that by saying, well, we actually believe and that, that giving small donors the ability to have more effect by giving them a matching contribution program helps to level the playing field. The second thing is enabling more candidates to run for office because this matching funds program levels the playing field is also a good thing for democracy. And the third is that we know that actually when people contribute money, they're actually feeling like they invest in a campaign. And people who actually invest in campaigns are more likely to vote. Yes. Not necessarily for the candidate they're contributing to, but they are more likely to go out and vote. Which makes absolute sense. And I think we've seen a huge uptick over the years as corporate donations have gone down, not to say that there's not a lot of business money in, in, in campaigns, but we've seen this uptick in $200 and less donations, you know, and we've had certain, you know, candidates, even like the Elizabeth Warrens of the world in Massachusetts, who have completely eschewed, you know, the bigger money and, and, and been able to run a campaign, whether we call it effective or not is a different story. But I think you're right that the small donor has a role. And what we're seeing, of course, is that continuing to grow. I think for percentage-wise, uh, between 2016 and 2020, it was nearly, you know, 50% higher, um, while the corporate 
donations went down. And we, I'm going to pause there to let you speak to it. But of course, then we get into where the corporate money is, in fact, moving to, and the fact that it's not disappearing. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point because, um, well, well, the the problem with corporate money is obviously the size of the corporations and their ability to dole out lots and lots of money. And there have been lots of restrictions. Like in New York City, for example, candidates are not allowed to accept money from corporations, LLCs, PCs, partnerships to try to eliminate the, the influence of that kind of large spending money. Um, New York State is, is, doesn't have those same restrictions. And further, um, the, there's this, something called dark money mm. where there are special purpose entities that are created um, to be able to give contributions from those entities, but you actually may not know who's behind those entities, who actually owns them. Right. Um, so and then you have the PACs and the super PACs who kind of have the same effect. You don't really know necessarily who is behind those. It takes a lot of digging to actually get at that. And so these outside, so, so what's happened is that as we've kind of get more, gotten more regulation and more transparency around corporations and partnerships and things like that, and then obviously, you know, very wealthy, creative people have started thinking about how they disguise their contributions and ultimately hide their effect that they have on, on campaigns. Well, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, there, there are two things that spring to my mind. As I say, I call it pay to play, right? I mean, and I've been talking about this. I mean, my grandfather a million years ago, I mean, in my late teens, said, you're far too young to be so cynical. But I said, if you have pay to play, what distinguishes us as a democracy from the only other countries that have any kind of a similar situation where, you know, the second that you're elected, you're already campaigning again and fundraising, even, I mean, even after Donald Trump lost the last election, he still continued to fundraise, which will have an outsized impact on the way that the GOP goes forward. And, and, and back then it was like Nigeria, you know, Russia, Brazil, I mean, these countries that we don't consider to be democracies, we consider them to be autocracies, and they are the only ones that have anything even similar to our systems. And then in 2010, the second thing that comes to mind is obviously Citizens United, which was this US Supreme Court decision that allowed for this, excuse me, but dark money really to blossom and flourish without limitations, without transparency on where it was coming from. And, and therefore we don't know where the special interests lie, it seems to me. Is, is, that, is that fair? And what are like kind of the impact, both maybe if there's any positive, I don't see it, but please inform me. And, and our listeners, or or negative uh, of of these various aspects of campaign finance. Well, you raise a great point about the um, disproportionate size of contributions here, because it, it, in in just looking at the money alone, um, and I'll just focus on New York State. It looks more like an oligarch oligarchy than it does a democracy. Um, you know, the in the last election cycle, the top hundred donors contributed more than 137,000 contributors. And so you look at that and you go, well, there's something that's seriously out of balance here. Um, the fact that there is no, what's actually in the ability to look through an LLC is called a, a look through law. And there has been no look through law passed in New York state. So the, there's, a, there's, a, there's a new campaign finance law in New York state, which is due to go to effect in 2022, that is going to undo a lot of that work, undo a lot of that and make it much more, much more level, but it's still unbalanced. Mm 
-hmm. And so we'll see what happens with that. I'm really looking forward to it. I think it's, it's a great step, it's a step in the right direction. Um, now on the, on the Citizens United, um, in case people don't know, um, the, the essence of the lawsuit, which is in the Supreme Court, was that corporations are defined as people. And so as persons, they should be able to exercise their free speech, right? their political First Amendment, free speech. First Amendment rights. That's right. And that free speech happens to be defined by how much money they spend. So Citizens United um, essentially unleashed the ability of corporations and PACs and other private bodies, of, of folks who have a lot of money, to be able to independently make their own political speech known to the public. Um, the only caveat is that they're not allowed to coordinate with the candidate. So they're not allowed to synchronize the messaging and, and all that stuff. And so it has to be so-called independent, um, you know, which again raises lots of questions about, you know, what does it mean to be really independent when these folks are really rubbing shoulders in the same social circles? Absolutely. I mean, I think I think that independence, and especially when you look at a lot of political and pointed positions uh, in this country, especially at a federal level, but I'm sure also at a municipal sit slash city and state level, are the appointees come out of that donor pool. Right. Or That's the right. friends of the donor pool. So, in fact, you're paying for positions that then not only get you and beget you more privilege and and power and money and financing later, but it really becomes a vicious cycle of an inner circle that is controlling our democracy. And you said it earlier, which is, you know, the smaller donations you get involved in in, in a campaign, but your impact may not be felt in the same manner, especially when I know you just gave an astounding number in New York State. I know at the federal level in that 14.4 billion, you know, it's just it's unbelievable. I think 9% of it, the entire amount was given by the top 100 donors. I mean, the, these are unbelievable numbers. And you think about like, you know, what they then are asking for. And does that represent my interests or those of, you know, the 320, you know, 9 million other Americans? I think that's a question worth asking. Yeah, and it goes to both sides of it too. It's not just the fundraising, but it's also the spending itself. And, um, you know, I think, um, you know, the Amy McGrath uh, race in Kentucky was a great example, right? Where it was so clear from the polling that she had no chance to win, but they ended up spending, I can't remember, what was it, $22 million or some, some, some ridiculous amount of money. Um, and, you know, you look at the people who are actually participating in this, um, both Democrats and Republicans, when you're spending that much money, the only outlet for that kind of money is really traditional advertising. It's television, it's print, it's billboards, and, um, you know, things that fewer and fewer of us actually look at. Right. And the way that these, that the consultants who place this media get paid is as a percentage of those placements. That's like a classic so, agency. That's right. And so you wonder, you know, about, you know, whether the contributors know going in that they're essentially feeding a machine that is benefiting consultants or whether they really are putting money in with the anticipation that it is going to reach voters and make a difference. So right now it feels a little bit like a, like a cold war, right? Where each side has to, has to raise as much money as possible line up their arms 
to ensure mutual destruction, right? If, if, if it crosses a line, but then we go, well, well, how do we actually get to some kind of, you know, detente, you know, in this kind of arms race for, for campaign finance? And, and I think that's a great way to bring it to your run for New York City mayor. I mean, I think when we were chatting earlier, I said, so how many are now in the race as a, as a New York City you know, citizen right now? And I think you said there are over 40 people. That's right. And, and yet very few of you have actually hit the fundraising hurdles set by the city in order to continue. Can you, can you spend a couple minutes just talking about how campaign finance specifically plays into the New York City election and what the, like, kind of what the impact of that is? Yeah, absolutely. So um, let me explain why we have so many people running, first of all, which I think is very instructive. Um, you know, the campaign finance board has made it quite easy to file to run. I think some candidates may discover to their dismay um, as they go along um, that it's not quite so easy to meet all the audit requirements of the, of the board um, who are trying, who's really working super, super hard to ensure a fair and clean um, uh, election based on campaign finance rules. Um, the other thing is that um, there is no clear dominant favorite this time. Right. So we know that there are some, some kind of well-known folks um, who have run, run for office, citywide office before, who are competing. Um, but the, the general consensus is that there is no clear favorite. You know, even with Andrew Yang coming into the race late, there's, there's still no real clear favorite. Yeah. Um, and then I think the final thing is that the city's matching funds, you know, are very attractive for a lot of folks. So we have this eight to one match um, and, uh, you know, you, you, the city provides an eight to one match if you hit their qualifying thresholds, which are two parts. Number one is you need to raise over $250,000 from qualified contributors. Quali qualified. Qualified, yes. And the second is that you need to raise that money from over a thousand qualified contributors. So what that means for most of us who are running is that it means that you need to actually raise money from probably three to four, three to 5,000 people or more. And um, depending upon what the average size of the contribution is. And then you also need to actually raise hundreds of thousands of dollars in order to have those $250,000 become qualified. Um, so, you know, even some of the well-known candidates haven't yet met that threshold. I anticipate that they will on the January 12th filing, but it's still pretty late in the race not to have gotten there. Um, and then there are some other complicating factors. I mean, this is a very, very unique time in history, right? The, the vast amounts of money spent, right, on the presidential election, the fierce the ferocity of that election, and um, people's fear of, of the other party winning just, you know, really just kind of generated all of this, this arms race into this, into this election. And people came out of that tired. Yes. And then we had January 6th, right? And then we had some other things. And people are just feeling spent. They have spent way, way too much money. They're emotionally drained. They're gearing up for this one. So on the one hand, we have a lot of attention being played, paid to New York because New York is really in New York is really in a, in a very difficult situation. It really isn't working for anybody. Yeah. But um, on the other hand, people are feeling very, very tapped out. So um, 
we'll see how much money gets raised. Um, it's, a, it's a super interesting question. And it's also interesting in New York, whether um, the largest amount of funds raised actually wins. Right. Because the data that we have from the campaign finance board is that's not assured. We know that, that more fundraising means more voting, yeah. but we don't know how the impact of all of this money. Um, and then just on the money front, I do want to just talk about the independent expenditures, um, because in the city, it is regulated in a very different way. Obviously, because of Citizens United, we can't regulate, you know, the fact that independent expenditures occur. That is, uh, assuming that they are, you know, non-coordinated, uncoordinated with the campaigns. Um, but our data also shows that prior to this election, independent expenditures have had de minimis impact on who wins. So we have a number of, of, of organizations, number of groups who are gearing up to actually spend independent money, significant amounts of independent money. Um, we know that there is independent money spent on some of the special elections, which recently occurred, and, and that actually helped the, um, the winner win and defeat you know, someone who was a well-liked um, contender. Uh, but we haven't seen what this means in the, in the citywide election. So that will be super, super interesting. The city requires, the campaign finance board requires a look-through requirement for independent spenders. So who's behind it, how much they're spending, and the same thing goes for PACs as well. Interesting. So the city actually is putting some controls and regulations on this in that qualified way. Uh, and, we, and so we will have potentially a different impact than it has at a federal or at the state level. That's right. Um, so I, I'm just a cognizant of time and I'm also cognizant to listeners like this is a topic that probably should have been broken into three parts because it's certainly not a, it's not a 20 minute conversation uh, to get educated and everything but th I think this is a great starting point. Your personal philosophy as you say it Art from the very beginning through to now your candidacy for New York City mayor is that government should work and it should work equally for everyone. Is that fair? That's right. That's right. So, what is, I want to close out with like, what is your vision for the future of campaign finance and what can people who are listening do here to help support that vision uh, as we think about the future of campaign finance specifically? Well, the future of New York state is clearly what's going to happen in 22 for New York state. Um, but as you know, it's very been very interesting going from the side of being on the board itself as the regulator to being on the candidate side. And um, although we, we made huge improvements this whole process with NYC votes, a lot remains to be done. And, what we, and one of the things that it tells us is that the city can be much more effective, it can be much more efficient through a, an intelligent and smart use of technology across the board. There are lots of impediments and um, inefficiencies that are created when you have to insert manual processes into things. So just look at the COVID vaccine distribution as a, as a, as a great test case for that. Yeah. It's something that's technology and data that's available to the city should have been able to solve. And there are many, many things like that at the campaign finance level that should make it easier for candidates to be able to run successful campaigns with, with much less friction. Mm -hmm. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. And so what can people uh, who are listening who may or may not be in New York City, most likely most of them are not, um, what can they do to support this vision of government working better equally for everyone as, as concerns you know, campaign finance and, and donations really? 
Well, I think the, the you know being an advocate for campaign finance reform at the municipal or the state level is is certainly um, in everybody's interest. Um, there have been cities around the country who have been making the move and actually have, have implemented campaign finance systems, much like New York City's. In fact, based on New York City's, mm -hmm. um, the city's campaign finance board has actually served as a consultant to other cities around the country and around the world. In fact, about how you can implement a fairer, more balanced campaign finance system. So I would encourage everyone, everyone to do that and look at that. And you know, nyccfb.info has some great information there. Um, there's also a huge amount of work happening on the voting side. And um, one of the groups that I really um, admire a lot is the OSET Institute, OSETinstitute.org. Um, they are a nonprofit technology group that is really focusing on trying to bring the, the United States election technology up to par so that we can run safe, consistent, efficient, reliable, secure um, elections. Um, so I'd really like, I really, I really think that you should look at them. And um, if anybody's interested, I, I would welcome, you know, coming to my site and uh, which is at chang.nyc. Um, I, I have open office hours via Zoom that anyone can sign up for on my site. And I've had people from all over the country show up from all ages. And it's been uh, fantastic and fascinating to hear. I had actually someone, I had someone the other week from Russia who showed up because she was fascinated about my campaign and how a campaign in the US works and comparing it to, to, to what's happening in Russia. It's amazing. All right. And I'll make sure that all those links are included um, when we post. And, you know, it's it's been a pleasure speaking with you again. It, it, 20 minutes doesn't do this justice at all. But good luck in your bid for New York City mayor. Thank you for all you've done to help reform campaign finance. And I say cheers to the future of uh, campaign finance reform. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. And everyone, please subscribe wherever you get your podcast and follow Future of XYZ on Instagram or LinkedIn. Thanks and see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Future of XYZ. If you like what you've been hearing, please follow Lisa Grelnick on LinkedIn. Visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to the Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.